Now we look at this particular church again, the church of Smyrna, uh, which is uh, the modern city of Izmir, which we pointed out last Lord's Day, is the city where Andrew Brunson, an EPC missionary, was captured and imprisoned in hell for some years uh, by the man who wants to be the caliph of the restored Ottoman Empire. We were speaking of Mr. Erdogan. And uh, it, finally, uh, God arranged that Pastor Brunson was free. Izmir, uh, Resurrection Church there. But this is an interesting church, an interesting city. There's no criticism on the part of the Lord Jesus as he communicates with the church in Smyrna. There's several things I'd like to point out. First of all, I'd like us to consider what is the second death. Notice the very last sentence of verse 11. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now that phrase is used two other times in the book of Revelation. So we don't have to scratch our heads and say, well, what is the second death? So turn with me, if you will, to the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, page 1937, and look at verse 8, where he speaks about the new Jerusalem, and he says, outside of that, he says in verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice, practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So he tells us explicitly what the second death is. The second death is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Look back across the page. And uh, we, we read there. Uh, we'll pick it up at verse 11 to get in the context. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according what, to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, nobody's in the lake of fire right now. When people die... They go to heaven now since the Lord Jesus has come into the world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, been buried, conquered death, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. Anyone who is a believer, the moment that person dies, the moment that person dies, that person goes to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why St. Paul could say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We need never forget that. To die is gain. When I think about Miss Oreen, 
visiting her uh, a week ago today uh, in the hospital there at St. Michael's. She was suffering because she was short of breath. She had great difficulty breathing. But I want to tell you that six days ago, about six o'clock in the evening, suddenly she closed her eyes and suddenly she woke up in the very presence of God. She, of all the folks who are part of this church right now, she's the happiest person of all. No more pain, no more suffering, no more darkness, no more struggling to believe. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. St. Paul writes twice and says that. She went to be with Jesus Monday afternoon. That's why we celebrated her life this past Thursday. She went to be with the Lord. Who suffers in the wake of death? Those who are left behind. We suffer. What a loss this church has suffered in Miss Oreen being taken from us. But for her, death was gain. 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 That's why St. Paul could say in Philippians chapter 1, he was in a struggle, he was in a conflict, because he wanted to depart this life and be with Christ, he said, which is better by far. But then he said, but for you, it's more needful that I stick around. So again, death is gain. And from the time of the ascension of Christ to the right hand of the Father, no believer has ever had to wait. No believer has ever been in a place of suspension or darkness or sadness. Every believer from that point on has been immediately in the presence of Christ. What about unbelievers? They go to a place of darkness, a place that is not pleasant, a place that is troubling. And yet, it isn't the lake of fire. The lake of fire, we're told, is the second death in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Death and the grave, or Hades, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Do you realize that everybody except those who are believers who are alive when Christ returns is going to die twice? If we're alive, if we're alive when Christ returns, we will not die. Our bodies will immediately be clothed with immortality. And we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But for those of us who die before the Lord's return, that's the first death. But the second death, as strange as it seems, involves the raising of the body from the dead. See, the second death has to do with the body and not simply the, 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 the person, the soul. And he says again in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. We think about people buried at sea, military people in the Navy and so on. We think about those who, who die in battle as we remember the dead. Memorial Day is about remembering dead soldiers, not living ones. As we think about those who have died. And what's going to happen? For every person, they give up the dead that were in them. And each person is judged according to what he had done. 
Now, look at that in verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. See, we don't go to hell when we die if we're not Christians. Because hell, as we think of it, Gehenna, the lake of fire, a fire that's burning, is the second death. That happens after Christ returns. That happens after the dead are raised. Now, I want to say to you, as I read this, he says in verse 15, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? Think of the greatest people you've ever thought of in your entire life. People who've done wonderful things, amazing things, heroic things. And you discover in verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. You know, there's a record. Everything you've said, all those snide remarks you've made behind people's backs. All the things you've said to their face. All of the terrible things you've ever done. Everything. Without exception, everything you and I have ever done, it's written down. Everything. And not just written down, what you've done and I've done, what you failed to do and what I've failed to do, what you've said and what you failed to say, but also what you thought. What you thought. Your daydreams, your fantasies. You can't help a thought popping into your head. Just like somebody going to the video store and a, a video a DVD is put into the wrong jacket and you go and put it in the DVD player thinking that you've got some Walt Disney cartoon and it turns out it's triple X. What do you do? You jump. If you're a parent, you dash to that DVD player and you hit the eject button and punch it out. There's a difference in being tempted to sin and embracing that temptation to sin and fantasizing about it like this when somebody's done you wrong you know you struggle with feelings of hatred and bitterness and resentment have you ever been praying and suddenly as you're praying for somebody their name comes to you and you began to think of these things oh you know she really did me wrong he really did me wrong you can't help temptation, but by the name and authority of the Lord Jesus, you have the power to hit the eject button and get that vile DVD out of the player and put it where it needs to be. But what about entertaining those fantasies? What about entertaining revenge? You know what? It's recorded. It's recorded. Everything. We live in an amazing world, don't we? The government knows so much about you and me. I never will forget getting an envelope in the mail. One of my children was borrowing a car, and it was registered in my name. And that particular child was living in New Orleans and was very prone to run caution lights. 
And the camera would go off. This is years ago. This isn't last year. This is over a decade ago. The camera would go off showing the light and showing that license plate. And I have to pay the fine. Wow. Do you realize how advanced the government is at tracking us today? They know what you do. They know where you are. They can't monitor your thoughts yet. But let me tell you, I'm not worried about the government. If I read this correctly, people are going to be judged because of what they've done as recorded in the books. Now, if you look across the page at the verse we read a few moments ago, Revelation 21 and verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic art, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You ever told a lie? Don't lie. We've all told lies. Do you realize what this is saying? The record against you is impeccably perfect. There are no mistakes. It's all accurate. It's all laid down. And as I read that, i got to say, I don't have a single hope. What am I going to do on that great day? What am I going to do when earth and heaven flee away before the great white throne? When the books are open and there's the story of Bob Vincent. Every lie I've ever told. Every wicked thought I've entertained. Everything I've ever done. Everything. Without exception. You're going to know it. I'm going to know it. What hope have I got? Well, here it is. Verse 15. Revelation 20, 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. You know what? My hope is built on nothing less than that my name is written in the book of life. Can you know that your name is written in the book of life? Yes. Those whose names are written in the book of life, sooner or later in this world, will turn from their sins. Imperfectly, but nevertheless turn. And in brokenness, they will cast themselves on God's mercy in Christ. And people whose names are in the book of life, sooner or later, will begin to manifest a relationship with Jesus Christ. You understand, as we honor those who have died in war, think of it. Only those who have died in war, who died trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, have a bright hope and a bright future. No matter how noble a person might be. Study the lives of great people. George Washington, Robert E. Lee, Abraham Lincoln. Study their lives. You know what? If you study carefully enough, you'll discover every single human being except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single human being except for the Lord Jesus Christ has deep-seated character flaws. I do. You do. And that's why 
If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. That's burning hell. Is hell really a place of burning? Everything I read in the Bible tells me it is. Jesus himself taught more about hell than anyone else. He described it as a place, the outer darkness. He described it as a place where the fire burns and it's never quenched. He described it as a place where the worm gnaws at conscience and regret forever and ever and never dies. Where the fire is not quenched. And the worm does not die. I don't know about you, but whatever I've got to do to keep from having the second death, I need to do it. If God said, to avoid the second death, I want you to walk across this country carrying a cross and saying, I'm an idiot, I'm a fool for Christ. If that's what he required... I guarantee you, if we really believed what the Bible says, we'd do it. But you know, dear ones, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is cast yourself on God's mercy in Christ. It's summed up in the questions we ask when a person joins the Presbyterian church. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God? Justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except for his sovereign mercy? And then, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel? That's the whole thing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? So the second death, the second death, Every human being who has ever lived needs to be afraid of the second death. I'm not afraid of the second death. God is not going to punish me for my sins because he punished Jesus in my place. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And because he did, we don't have to fear the second death. But again, it's the book of life. Otherwise... No matter what we've done, no matter how heroic our life, it's flawed. So turning back again to Revelation chapter 2, and we see these words here, page 1914. And he says there in verse 11, He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now look at the context of this because it's very important. He says here, look at verse 10. Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Should we understand the numbers in the book of Revelation literally? No. The numbers in the book of Revelation are symbolic. Let's think of a couple of numbers in the book of Revelation. What would the number three represent in the whole Bible? Anybody got a guess? The Trinity. One God in three persons. What would the number four represent? We think about the four points of the compass. We think about north and east and south and west. 
Four is the number of the earth. What about the number six? What might that represent? It's the number of man. Man is created on the sixth day. It's also one short of perfection because seven, the Sabbath, is a picture of perfection. So we have six, the number of man, seven, the number of perfection. What about the number 12? The number 12. How many sons of Jacob were there? There were 12. How many apostles, the original uh, apostles of Christ were there? There were 12. What do you get when you multiply 12 times 12? You get 144. That's the fullness of God's people. What about the number 10? That's a number of fullness or completion. And so we think about these numbers. If you think about the 144,000, that's 12 apostles, 12 tribes, that times 10 times 10 times 10. It's the fullness of God's people. What about the number 10? Again, 10. 10 times 10 times 10, 1,000 is a number that is very large, very significant, not necessarily specified literally again. So 10 days here does not mean that they only had persecution for 10 days. Literally, it means that they had persecution. It was a significant persecution because of 10. It's not long and long and long. It's not 10 years. It's 10 days. It's relatively short, but it's a full-fledged persecution. Now, I want you to see something here. He says in verse 10, Revelation 2.10, Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Now, I want to reflect with you for a moment. In the year 1981... I traveled with a very good friend of mine who went to be with the Lord this year, and he and I smuggled Bibles into communist China. Make no mistake about it, communist China is not a friend to the United States, and it certainly is not a friend to the Christian church. Understand that Mao Zedong, when he came to power, was a virulent persecutor of the church. And in China, sometimes that persecution has been more severe than at others. That persecution in China really went wild during the last days of Mao Zedong. And there was terrible persecution. When I was in Hong Kong in May of 1981, I met a lady named Mrs. Kwong. Mrs. Kwong was a college professor, as was her husband. But during the days of the Cultural Revolution, when the Red Guards took Mao and created a little red book of all his sayings, and people had to affirm their faith in the little red book and in Chairman Mao. And they took the college professors and they said, something's wrong with this because there should be no elite anywhere. 
And so the college professors are fired, the doctors are fired, and they're put out in the field to work as peasants. What do you call that? You call it people going crazy. And so Mrs. Kwong and her husband were removed as being professors, and then they were arrested and put in prison. And Mrs. Kwong's four children were left at home by themselves to fend for themselves. And one day the Red Guards came to Mrs. Kwong's home and they demanded that her four children confess Mao, Mao as Lord and deny Christ and to accept the little red book. And the oldest boy refused to do it. And so one of those one of those red guard took his rifle butt and hit the boy as hard as he could in his kidneys and killed him. Ms. Kwong told us that story. That was in 1981. Things loosened up for a while in China. In fact, we were there in the second year when people like us could go to China and, and we smuggled Bibles. It was an interesting story. Eight of us were to smuggle Bibles. Only seven of us put the Bibles in our suitcases. We were pressed and urged before we traveled to Beijing, pray and ask the Lord to guide you, whether he wants you to take these Bibles or not. Seven of us did. When we landed in Beijing, only one person had to open a suitcase. That was the person who did not take the Bibles. The seven never had to open ours. Persecution. I want you to think about it for a moment. There are people who teach that there will be a secret rapture, that believers will be taken off this earth before suffering. I'm going to tell you that that teaching is very harmful. Where in the history of the Christian church have Christians been spared for persecution very long? Why didn't Jesus rapture the church in China? Why doesn't Jesus rapture the church suffering under the yoke of extreme Islam? The most extreme Muslim state in the world is Saudi Arabia, not Iran. Why doesn't he rapture the church in places where, like the Fulani tribe, butchering farmers, innocent Christian people? Why doesn't he rapture to the church there? I'm going to give you this challenge. Show me in the Bible where there's a secret rapture where Christians are spared persecution and virulent suffering. I will give you $1,000. You can't find it. This idea came up in a prayer meeting in London in the late 1800s that there was a secret coming of Christ to rescue Christians from all this trouble and suffering. I want you to understand, suffering is the lot of Christians. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, wrote St. Paul to Timothy. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't know what's going to happen to this country in the future, but I can tell you this, if we continue on the pathway we've been on since after World War II when we began to scrap our Christian heritage, 
We're going to be no different than any other nation that's ever lived. What makes America special is not the Constitution, even though it's a wonderful document. What makes America special is that it has honored God and particularly the Lord Jesus Christ from the very beginning. Do you realize that in the very year that Congress, (coughs) pardon me, approved the Constitution when it was ratified. Do you realize in that same year they issued what's called the Northwest Ordinance? What do they have to do? Was it about Oregon and Washington State? No, no. It was about the new territories that came in, uh, places like Ohio and Indiana. And so Congress came up with the Northwest Ordinance. And in the Northwest Ordinance they stated this, the same year the Constitution's passed. It talked about the importance of education, of knowledge, and morality. And it said, and religion, these things being essential, we will make allowance for schools, for public education throughout the Northwest Ordinance in order to guarantee that students are taught religion and morality. Wow. Where did we go? We've been changing things in this country throughout my lifetime and yours. What does the future hold for us? Unless God stays His hand of judgment on us, we're going to see the kinds of things in this country that other countries have seen and Christians have suffered. You don't have a card that says, get out of persecution free. So what I have to warn you about, I have to warn you of this. Be prepared to suffer. But no matter how bad the suffering, even if the red guards come into your home while you're in prison with your husband and take that rifle butt and kill your oldest boy because he won't deny Christ. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And you're spared the second death. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to be spared the second death? Isn't it wonderful to be able to say today on May the 30th, 2021, I know whom I have believed. Do you know the Lord? If you know the Lord, then you know. No matter what happens, you're not going to go through something you can't bear. There's no suffering that's overtaking you, temptations overtaking you, but such is common to man. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to bear. We mentioned last week Polycarp, who served the church in Smyrna, and he was burned alive, but the flames didn't hurt him. And when they finally stabbed him, the blood came out and put the fire out. Do you mean God still does miracles of deliverance today? Yes, He does. Sometimes life seems so hard you think, I can't put up with this anymore. But God has given you a promise. You will not be tempted beyond your ability to bear. So what does the future hold for the United States? I pray that those who have died for this nation will not have died in vain. But I know that no matter what happens... It's not going to be to the point that you suffer and suffer to the point of leaving Christ. He'll provide the way of escape. And 
Never forget. You're spared the lake of fire. Whatever it is. So what is it that you have to do to escape the lake of fire? Turn from your sins, no matter how imperfectly you turn, and cast yourself on God's mercy in Christ. He will receive you. He's never turned anyone away. Come to me, said Jesus, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All. He's never turned anyone away. May we pray. Lord, as we finish this letter to the church in Smyrna, as we ponder the second death, as we ponder persecution, as we ponder what the future holds, Lord, Keep us from fear. That's the great message of this second letter of the book of Revelation. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Lord, if we know that we know you and we know that we will never go to the lake of fire, then, Lord, we really don't have to be afraid. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Amen.